Hello, this is Caleb, and welcome to the movie that changed my life. I'm here with special guest Devin Garcia. Hello. Hi. Now, Devin is a notoriously harsh critic when it comes to film. Guilty. But when he does like a movie, he really likes it. And we're talking about one of those movies today. So, I pose you the question, what is the movie that changed your life? I'd say, in most recent memory, the movie that had the most effect on just some things I thought about, as well as the way I thought about film, was The Matrix from 1999. Man, that's a great choice. When I first asked Evan to do this podcast, his response was, I got a better idea. How about I give you the finger, and you give me my phone call? That's hilarious. Yes, that's, that's a lie that I made up. Um... So, take me back to the beginning. When did you see this movie? Where were you in life? What, why did it have such an impact on you? Uh, set, set the scene. That's a lot to unpack, but I guess I'll start at the beginning. I saw it when it first came out in theaters in 99. I believe it was May 99. Um, 99, I was in high school. I believe I was 15 hmm. at the time. Yeah. Um, into science fiction was seeing a lot of movies at that point. I was seeing multiple movies weekly. So since it was rated R, who did you see it with? Uh, I got someone to buy me tickets. They weren't really strict on it back then. Mm -hmm. uh, not a big deal. I always hated the rating system anyway, so it was a good way to say stuff. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I saw it with a friend. He and I were into sci-fi films, so we decided to give this one a whirl. And saw it, was really amazed by it uh, for multiple reasons, which I'm sure we'll get into. And when I was walking out, I definitely left with um, a feeling, a sensation that would be vindicated years and years later that this is actually going to change the way people do film. Mm. And that was vindicated because we see the style and the effects, especially the bullet time or slow motion effect we call replicated endlessly over and over and over in every action movie possible so it definitely had an effect and the effects always enhanced the story which is one way one reason that they're so incredible if you mean the effects didn't take over everything and replace you are correct there it was so organic how, how it fit in it was because it was mostly sets and it was mostly costumes and what effects were used were not only really good but they were story and piece-centric, and they didn't overwhelm the entire shot, if that makes sense. You weren't just simply overawed by all the funny things, or, excuse me, by all the fantastic-looking things in the air. You're going, holy crap, this is actually happening. We're watching him go through a... We're watching the actual actor with camera set up go through a time spin with added effects afterwards. It was just... It was the perfect way to say these kind of effects should enhance and never replace something in a scene. Yeah, and the movie really hits the ground running. We open it up, and it, it's the great sort of... Um, there's a, a quote that says, you should start a movie, like, too far in, into it, and end the movie, um, like, before it's done. Kind of a thing. So, we're already, like, partly into the story when it begins. Trinity's in this room these um, cops are coming after her and she kicks their ass and she jumps in the air kicks the guy she runs on the wall and right away we're 
engulfed in this thing and this reality and this universe and this storytelling. Sure. One of the first questions you asked in that scene are, how can you do this? Or how can she do that? What What is that happening right now? Yeah. Uh, and it was kind of set up, up outside almost. with the cops saying, hey, I think we can handle one little girl. And the agent steps in and says, no, your men are already dead. And he actually set that up rather well, going, okay, well, these cops have surrounded the house. And there's a lot of them. They have SWAT team. And there's only one person. How are they going to do this? And then, of course, they open up with a really good fight scene. And thus begins your journey into the whole world that they've set up. How can she do this? What is she doing? What are these computers? Why are they looking for Keanu Reeves' character? Blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, it really did take off, uh, take off in a good direction. You already put in it. They didn't even bother to introduce people um, in the way that you would find typical. Like, you didn't like get with to exposition. S- yeah. Sure, you didn't get to see a scene of him starring off at work. Oh, I'm Keanu Reeves, and I guess his character is... Uh, uh, Mr. Anderson, I guess you would say. Um, you didn't see him at work starting or seeing his life or how he was single. Yeah. You started him off as, this is a guy who's asleep at a computer, huge mm. system, he's obviously a hacker, and he's scanning everything. You've already started him off as he's searching for something. Yeah. And you start off Trinity's character going, this person is watching. Yeah, this- Trinity is watching uh Thomas Anderson at this point. The, the filmmakers, the, the Wachowski siblings, at this point it was Andy and Larry. Later on, it was Andy and Lana. Um, they, they don't insult the audience by s- spelling it out for you. There, there is. There is no needless exposition. There's no needless details. Um, for a science fiction film, they accomplished a lot in the time they had. Nothing was stuffed down your throat, and I really have to compliment them once again on any sort of character monologues they had, whether it be Agent Smith or whether it be Morpheus, they were enough. They were enough to say, I can clearly see this person's vision of where he sees humanity, and you go to Agent Smith and his monologue about what humanity is, you can clearly yeah. see what this person thinks about his vision of humanity. It was it was yeah. a good contrast, it was just enough. In the perfect uh, backstory with there was the first Matrix and it was too perfect and humans rejected it because humans need suffering as part of their identity and then this kind of late 20th century matrix was the one that worked it it was their strange nod to religious undertones in the Mm. matrix um, and just religions in general it was basically whatever religion would have a fall from paradise story or a beginnings with the quote unquote ideal or perfect human beings that was their nod to it in a scientific realm. Uh, the, the Matrix is a very... It, it's a film that's underlined with a lot of religious and philosophical undertones. They designed it on purpose. Um, I met the guy who wrote a book called um, The Matrix and Philosophy, and he actually went back and forth with the creators, saying, did you put this in here in reference for this person? Mm. Did you put it here in, re- in reference for this person? And they did. So they did it on purpose. It was... And uh, seeing all that was nice. It, it wasn't, um, again, it wasn't so heavy-handed that you were like, oh, okay, they obviously stuck on this shot or these words to make a heavier-handed reference. It was subtle enough to say those familiar with philosophy or religion could immediately identify, hey, that sounds like the Garden of Eden story, or hey, when Morvis is talking about what is real when it comes down to the senses, and if it's only senses, then it's nothing left 
it's nothing but electrical signals interpreted by your brain. Then it's talking about, okay, well, how do you know what you know and certain knowledge? And then you can start talking about Immanuel Kant or Aristotle. There's a lot in there to unpack, and it's, it's well done. It just asks the basic questions without going too deep or trying trying to be too deep, which uh, so many films are guilty of just trying to force some sort of abstract thought or some philosophy on you where you're watching it. This does, again, just enough. It's just enough dialogue, just enough references to say, okay, they're going somewhere. They've set up their world, and I'm easily following it. Yeah, I think Morpheus is um, Greek for king of dreams, something with dreams. That's Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, that is something with dreams. What, what his name means. Um, okay, well, when I think of The Matrix, this is where I go. I think of... The, the whole structure of the story, the formula, uh, reminds me of Joseph Campbell. It's the monomyth. It's, there's a lot of similarities between The Matrix and Star Wars. It's uh, Neo is whatever you want to call him. He's the hero. He's the chosen one. He's a messianic figure. He's the journeyman. We're going on this journey with him. And in the monomyth, the hero character, 80% of the story is in the unknown. So the beginning, we set up what is known for Neo, his reality, and then the rest of the story, he's in the unknown. He's discovering this for the first time, and he's the eyes and the ears for the audience. Hmm. And there are references to Alice in Wonderland throughout the story, um, beginning with Follow the White Rabbit. Mm -hmm. And then later on, um, I imagine right now you're feeling a bit like Alice, wandering down the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. And then let's see how far down the rabbit hole goes. Yes. And then, I want to say there was one more reference, but I can't think of it. Um, but one reason they used Alice is because when she goes to Wonderland, it's a dream. And, it's, and this movie's about dreams. And th there's a reference to The Wizard of Oz, buckle your seatbelt, Dorothy, because Candace is going bye-bye. So in both of these, Neo is called Alice... He's called Dorothy, and those are two characters that had a dream at the beginning of their story, you know, like 15 minutes into it, and then went into this dream world. And Neo doesn't really... It's not a coming-home story, where it's like, now I've made a full circle and I've returned back, like, back to the future or something, but at the end, he does return to where he began, the city he knows where he lives, except now he's this changed person, he's this transformed person. You're correct, and one thing I'd like to point out is The Matrix actually does the inverse of that formula, which mm -hmm. is he starts off in the dream world, and then he enters reality. And at the end, he comes back to the dream world as the changed person. That's genius. That's something that I thought was really interesting, because it wasn't just... It, 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 was, it wasn't so typical. And again, not You're that, smarter than me. Not that... Thank you. Not that typical is bad, but yes, we've seen our fair share of Dorothy stories and our Alice in Wonderland stories. And so it always takes a journey to a mysterious world. No, this person starts off in the mysterious world, right? Yeah. That supposedly he thinks is reality, but then no, he's yeah. taken forcefully to reality. It's like, again, a reverse allegory mm -hmm. of the cave. He's taken to reality, which is, which is outside the, the thing's... That he's the images he's been seeing his entire life, but then at the end he returns 
to the dream world, but in a different light, as a changed person, yeah. as a person with knowledge, that, again, you would think, oh, gosh, you know, he has to get out of there. But no, because he's, again, the messianic figure and the one who's supposed to restore balance, he goes back in to what was bad, a changed person, to change the bad back to the good. And, and if I may, um, the reason a lot of these stories, um, like Alice in Wonderland, used dreams for the way that they, they journey is just because the technology wasn't there, the explanation wasn't there. Uh, in A Christmas Carol, it's it's all a dream, that Scrooge has this dream. Sure. And that's revealed at the end. And um, to make a quick parallel, Back to the Future was somewhat inspired by A Christmas Carol. Because you have this character going back in time, then there's present day. And Zemeckis said, hey, we don't have to say it's a dream anymore. We don't have to use that that tool, hmm. we can say, give some, oh, it's a time machine, there's a flux capacitor, there's this way of doing it. And the Matrix did a similar thing where they're, they're using dreams, but the dream is always symbolic. It's symbolic, but it's also, like Back to the Future, it's a product of real technology, not real technology, but yeah. it's a product of technology. It's not something so far-fetched um, that you feel removed. The dream world is not removed from your reality to where it's almost unbelievable. It does it in a very believable way. Um, I think that was also well done. But but Zion itself, which is the real world, mm -hmm. seems very much like this nightmarish dream landscape. Yeah, a bit. It is, it's the last human city. There's definitely some weird aesthetic to it. Um, it's all machinery. Yeah, it's... it's uh, I guess Matrix is a very truth is stranger than fiction type story um, because reality... Reality does suck, quote-unquote, yeah. in that movie. It's terrible. Humanity's basically wiped out. The Earth is desolate. The machines will basically enslave the greater portion of humanity. It's, it's, reality is a very bad thing in that. Um, the dream world is interestingly symbolic, like you said, of either our ideal paradise or, or not even our ideal paradise, just what we as humans would expect in our everyday lives. And I guess that's why they're able to maintain... Uh, such a, as Morpheus would say, like such a, a form of mental control over everybody because they, it doesn't rock the boat. It, it mm. normalizes everything. It's an, so it's an interesting bit of symbolism because yes, it is symbolic, but it symbolizes normalcy, which yeah. is what you would think it would symbolize something abstract, but it actually symbolizes something very concrete. It's another little. It's crazy. Like a, as a film, it's. It's airtight. There's not a wasted moment. There's not a wasted line or a wasted scene. Yeah, it's it's good. I mean, it's so airtight. There are probably a few, but but it's it's you don't notice. It doesn't detract from it. It it definitely moves. People talk. They have good dialogue. It's not over the top crappy. It all serves a purpose. It all connects. Yeah. Uh, there's, yeah. There's, there's, there's it's all. Useless characters. It's story, story, story. It's so story driven. There, there's no. There's no useless character in the Matrix. I. I would be. I would give you one thousand yeah. dollars if you find a character in there that's a waste of screen time. Um, yeah, absolutely ju right. Ju just not so. It's just not so. Everything they do. Um, what about Switch? Or they represent something. What about Switch? The cheese serve a purpose. Well, yeah. She was. The ship needs a crew. Yeah. She represented some sort of cold... But she was a contrast, too, because she was, like, the cynical one who sticks That's a gun right. in Neo's face. She was the cynical, and, and she was the least friendly of them. So I understand the cold contrast. Yeah. Um, some would argue Mouse. I say that's hogwash. Mouse was... 
I was the innocent by, one. I was annoyed by him, but I understand why he was there. He was he was to show the human side of being human. So yeah. even though he was drugged into this crappy reality, right? He still had his woman in the red dress. He still liked talking about tasty wheat. Even yeah. when he went into the Matrix, it he was still dressing cool, and he's. He, he he was representing um, again like he would say it's n- it's not we're losing the very thing that makes us human. He still represents the human side of being human. So even his character, even if you found him annoying sometimes, he did serve that purpose. It's uh it's good. It's good the way they pulled that off. That's yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, okay, let's see what I got here. Um, okay, um, it's interesting that um yeah Neo is a hacker. And it's it's like the hacker is the hero in the story, and he plays by his own own rules. And the whole story is kind of about breaking the rules, and and I'm, I can break the rules better than you can break the rules. And he's like that. Ultimately, you will be to the agents because they're still operating in a system based on rules, and you can break the rules better than them. Mm-hmm. It's almost like anti-legalism. It, it, it's, an, it's an interesting it's parallel like, because, yeah, he does start off as a hacker, and they say he's guilty of virtually every hacker crime they have a law for. Um, so, yes, in, in that respect, he breaks the law. He really doesn't care about anything else. He needs to find Morpheus because something's egging him on. He needs to find the question, what is the answer to the question, what is the Matrix? And, yes, that does come back both symbolically and practically later when he finds out and realizes culminates slash whatever you'd like to call it that he is the one and now he's basically rewriting those rules to a degree and Um, and it it speaks to the mindset of the wachowskis who wrote v for vendetta and are very anti-establishment and anti-system they're and they're they're basically anti too much control they're anti forced normalcy you can definitely see that parallel in both those movies um when people are being forced by a greater authority to adhere to a certain church principle or have their freedoms taken away there's definitely that idea of resist revolution resist and, and destroy and revolt against that type of of power yeah um and the to make kind of a a spiritual parallel if you will um it, it th- there's this quote that says um you know, we are not physical beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a physical experience. And that reminded me of, of the movie, um, that I don't know where I'm going with this. It's okay. There's always an edit button on the computer. <laughs> I, I guess cause, um, the, the matrix is, is a mental experience, but mm-hmm. that's, that's not who he really is. That's mm-hmm. not what, what the really reality is. Yeah, it's well. It's you're probably just trying to understand that scene where uh, Morpheus is trying to reveal what the Matrix is. Right after he yeah. takes the pill, he's explaining what it is and what is real. And we we don't know what exactly what time it is, but we know what's fake and what's not. And we know certain bits of piece of history. So you're trying to say, it, it, it's difficult to say. It, is it purely a mental construct, or or even um, when he talks about? His appearance, yeah. your, the holes are gone, your hair is back, it, it's it's a mental... You are pro- plugged into, yeah. He's plugged into something, but it's his mental projection of, digi- of his digital self. There's something uh, immaterial there that's that's assisting in his image. So it, it is it is basically a spiritual movie. It, it's 
kind of, um, I'd say it's the reverse. It's, it's more, you're, you kind of start in that spiritual cloudy world, again, the dream world, and you go towards the hard, cold, physical world. That's, that provides the contrast. Um, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's spiritual yeah. in the fact that you realize that, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to well, be, yeah. be a fake it doesn't necessarily have to be a fake world where everything's comfortable like the villain Cypher to want it. He would prefer ignorance because it was comfortable and it was blissful. He'd prefer that symbolic dream, I guess you could say. Whereas the truth of the matter is humanity has a purpose. It has a purpose in this war to win freedom no matter how hard, how cold it is in actual reality. It's, just, it's that choice to take the absolute worst physical experience to make that into humanity's greater spiritual experience which is freedom that probably sounded really convoluted but i did the best i could <laughs> i think i think i know what you're saying um now you said this about batman once um do you think the matrix is a marriage of east and west in its style uh in a lot of ways yes um i'll start with aesthetically aesthetically speaking there's a lot of strange weird moments in that film where it almost feels a little bit like Blade Runner because there's some ancient mm. theme stuff in there a lot yeah um, it's definitely an influence yeah and uh, and of course I don't their, their choreographer was a, a huge Chinese martial arts I, I don't like to yeah. acknowledge them very much but uh, even in the sequel Seraph <laughs> and that whole part in Chinatown again going back to the, the, it seemed to have some strange affiliation with Asian aesthetics, but also in terms of spirituality, anytime you have kung fu, anytime you have a dojo, anytime you have meditation, Jiu-jitsu. you are going. You're inevitably trekking in the Asian arts. Well, well, um, Neo. I mean, he represents. This is the epitome of training. We're going straight to the best. So they open with, "You're going to learn jujitsu. Yeah. This is the best hand-to-hand combat." Well, yeah, it's we the best hand-to-hand combat, you. but. Uh, the marriage portion, the marriage portion you're speaking about, or how it combines yeah. the, the best of both, is combining science with basically Eastern philosophy, Eastern spirituality, which is exactly what they did. All the humans and the machines in the real world, all scientific stuff. It's all robots, technology, power cells, computers, everything. Okay, it's it's very much a Western mindset to have that kind of emphasis on technology, science, and history. The Eastern emphasis, again, is more or less on on purpose and perfection of that purpose. Hmm. Uh, that, again, that's that would be going back towards the spiritual side of the Matrix. Um, yeah, I guess that's all I have to say. Well, yeah, would you say, like, it's been 14 years since this movie came out? Yeah, looking back, um, it, it's a time capsule for the late 90s and where technology was going and where computers were going and maybe China rising up as kind of this big superpower. It's, it seems like the Matrix, I don't know about that, but it seems like the Matrix was uh, destined to kind of be the next big step in what would be a sci-fi action film. Um, the good thing about it, though, is Matrix isn't just remembered for bullet time. It could have very easily just mm. been a movie, hey, that movie really sucked. The acting was terrible, the music was lame, but hey, you know what? Those bullet effects were excellent, and I can see them being used. The Matrix definitely was the whole package. Yeah. My, my particular... It made trench coats look cool. Yeah, I mean, definitely had style. Um, I, I, get... I, I tried wearing trench coats, and people look at me weird. 
I just can't pull yeah, it it's, off. Yeah, it's definitely not for everybody. There's there's the Matrix <laughs> feel, and then there's the, I think it might be a, a rapist feel, and that probably doesn't work out. Yeah, um, exactly. The one thing I would say, um, just in general, it, it did change science fiction for a lot yeah. of people, whether they know it or not, because it made science fiction more, it made it believable. Yeah. So if, if you can't distinguish, or if it, something makes you think whether it's real or not, then it's done that whether what you're experiencing is real or not, it's done a good job to say how these are so close. How do I know the difference? Um, a sci-fi film has really done its job. There was nothing too fantastical. They had explanations for everything. There was nothing that unbelievable. Um, they could have easily gone the other direction and made everything completely batshit crazy and have gone, Oh, well that's what happens when you're in your mind. They didn't do that. They kept yeah. it as earth, earth grounded and realistic as possible and with only a few times where they quote unquote broke the rules, i.e., they were flying, um, or they were jumping long distances, or faster than normal. See, that's yeah, they, a, they were bending. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a very yeah, believable reality in that, and I think that changed a lot of science fiction for people because science fiction was uh, kind of otherworldly before that. It was either really campy, over the top, like what is this? This is just purely for my enjoyment only. Um, of course, Star Wars and Star Trek had very few rivals, but mm -hmm. this was something different. This was, this was us. This was us in L.A. or New York or whatever fictionalized city they had. This is the same guns we use. These are the same clothes we wear. It's the same food we eat. We use these computers. It was a very grounded science fiction film. It was very believable. I think that that's the one of the reigning qualities about that movie that will just make it sort of timeless in a way. Now I have a random question, since you're a Matrix expert. Um, I am not, but okay. When, when Neo, um, you know, goes to the real world, as it were, and do you think his Matrix identity was erased and the memories that people have of him were erased? Uh, no, no. That, no, I don't think that's the case Like, at like all. the Thomas A. Anderson? No, that's the case at all. I'm sure people, again, I'm, I'm referencing... Because when people start suspecting stuff, if they're like, I, I'm, I'm referencing this guy disappeared. <laughs> and, 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 well, a, a bit. I'm referencing more. I'm referencing the second, third one again, which I don't like doing. But they have a quick explanation about that somewhere where when people disappear, or this, they talked about this, the occurrences that we as human beings consider paranormal, ghosts or disappearances. That's what they attribute oh, okay. to the leaving and coming of people. Or certain rogue programs um, with powers, they they said they attributed to. That's what that's their explanation for vampires or other things that seem unreal. Their programs or they're yeah. changing something or deja vu. Their explanation yeah. their explanation for deja vu is when the machines change something in the matrix. So they always have some sort of explanation. Either they edit it or it's yeah. My my thought was that Morpheus and company basically just deleted any record that he existed but of course people still remember stuff and have some memories and no no i i uh, i don't think they deleted anything merely disconnecting from the system means he's just no longer in the system um they of course will search for him uh he apparently has the same id yeah. or else when he would get plugged back in the matrix he wouldn't necessarily be he couldn't be the one or he'd be like a different one if that makes sense so yeah. he, he, it's the soul, it's like it's almost like Ghost in the Shell. Like Even though you're connected to a system or you're connected to a cyborg, you're still the, the ghost, the spirit is still the same when it connects. So Neo is Neo, regardless of, he's, of whether or not he's in the real world uh, or not. 
Um, there's this really interesting moment when Neo visits the Oracle. Mm. And she says... My second favorite character in the whole movie. Yeah, she's awesome. She says, you're not the one... Um, you're waiting for something. Sorry, kid, but it looks like you're waiting for something. Yeah. And I thought, well, what is he waiting for? And then later, when he decides to save Morpheus, it's like for the first time, Neo has a, a self-driven purpose and a goal and meaning. Because he realizes, oh, I have to choose between my life and Morpheus's life. And that's what Neo was waiting for. Did I read that wrong? Um, I can see where you'd pull that out. I don't necessarily think that's what she's talking to. Uh, I've seen the movie as many oh, oh, times sorry. as I have. What? Um, because he says to Trinity, I believe in something, I believe I can bring him back. And I think believing in something and believing in yourself is what he was waiting for. Neil, you're waiting for something. What do you think she was talking about? I, I don't think that's the case, but I could see where you would draw that parallel. Um, I believe what she was talking about was his waiting... He he was basically waiting for some sign or for, or for some event to happen so he could know that he's the one. Does that make sense? He was waiting for something like, oh, all of a sudden I can push a building over. All of a sudden I could do that. He's waiting for some confirmation. Would that be the dodging bullets? Um, Same which she says. Trinity says, I've never seen anyone move that fast. It could be, but that was also post the scene, or post the Oracle scene. Um, but, right, that's but, what I'm saying. Like, he's waiting for sure, a yeah. sign that he's so the one. It, it, that could have been something that led to it, yeah. Um, but it's a matter of... Um, He's, yeah, it's, it's, it seems like the Oracle is trying to tell him, like, you're waiting for some magical thing to tell you you're the one. Remember she said... Oh, and that's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, she's, that's not going to happen. Remember she likened it to being in love? Yeah. Like, you, someone can't tell you, you just know it, right? So he's waiting for this thing to tell him, like, he doesn't know himself. Yeah. He's waiting, know thyself, like her, her board reads above the doorway. You, You don't know... He, he didn't. He was waiting for something to confirm him. He had to find it, basically, in himself that he was the one to do it. Even Morpheus gets, gets taken prisoner. He wasn't... Neil wasn't waiting anymore. He's like, I have to save him. I know. I have this feeling, this sure. guts. I know I can do this. And that, that they is... They had the very suspenseful, like, don't pull the plug that, moments. That, that may be a manifestation of, of his new yeah. found confidence or... Yeah, I mean, there's there's several things that lead up to it. So I don't think that that was the event entirely, but she's basically saying, you're waiting for something. You're, you're waiting for something to happen or tell you that you're the one, and you you can't. It's like being in love. Yeah. You, someone can't tell you. You just know it'll happen. And that's a, a really good reading of that. I think you're right. I've ha- I have here in my notes, Trinity is one of the best female characters. Uh, she's pretty good. She's a... a dominatrix version of Princess Leia, basically. She's just a no BS. She serves the cause unwittingly. She's not a dumb heroine in distress. But she's still feminine. She still has her romantic whims about her, but she's not in any way a weak character. She's, in fact, probably the second most crucial character. She denies those romantic whims for as long as possible, though. Sure. Because, yeah, she isn't sure. Or, um, she isn't sure of the Oracle says you will fall in love, you know, with with the the one. one. He's not sure it's him. Um, yeah, she's an interesting character. Uh, she set a typeset a little bit for the kind of 
a little bit badass female character of some crew that they rolled with, whether it's a ship crew or like an crew of an assassins, because that theme carries everywhere. It's the, it's the Ghost in the Shell chick. She is this assassin that is feminine, but she's very strong and she's not weak and she's no damsel in distress at the same time. That kind of that carries over in a lot of sci-fi films. They don't have very weak chicks in sci-fi films much anymore. Um, and if they are, they're always right. from an alien world or a different world, and you have to save them. The Did you like the, are... the casting and the characters in this? Um, I mean, I have my dream cast, not the Sega system, the my, <laughs> my dream cast, but uh, not that these did bad at all. I think they're all great, but if I had my choice, and yes. this is just me being personal and stuck in my I, dream world. I want to hear it. If I could have made Christian Bale Neo okay. and Kate Beckinsale as Trinity, I probably would have been the happiest person in the world. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I can see that. Um, and interestingly enough, both those characters star in similar roles with similar weapons and similar outfits, so it's not even that far from reality. Equilibrium. And Underworld. And underworld. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, people criticize Keanu for his overall filmography, but I thought he was the perfect Neo for that character. He did fine. He played the perfect, Just like... kind of pasty, actually, skinny, hackerish. Yeah, he looked the part, but then his general, like, whoa, I don't know what's going on. In this case, it works, because yeah. it's the Matrix, and at first you don't know what the hell's going on. So he... I don't know if he necessarily got lucky there, but uh, they did a good pick with that. And by the end, he... he Gets a little more solid, and um, definitely he did. Yeah, he, it wasn't and, a bad and the Wachowskis—they are huge on the actors themselves learning uh, this, you know, the karate and the fighting, and, and which is great. And, and you could and tell it could really it really showed. Yeah, uh, Lawrence Fishburne especially, and in yeah, Hugh Weaving, it showed too. They were very, they trained for years. They were so comfortable in their characters. You could just tell they were so comfortable in their characters when they fought, when they spoke, and that's why those two. Uh, Everyone the, nails it. The, yeah. the, the, that's why those two stand out, especially because people say, or it's generally spoken that Neo is the hero and Agent Smith is the villain. No, I actually really, Neo may be the one, but the two opposing figures are Morpheus, Morpheus and Agent Smith. The two opposing visions, yeah. the two opposing philosophies. And they're both commanding their opposing squads. That's the real where the Neo's real opposition is. Neo's caught in the crossfire. He is caught in the crossfire. Yes. All so, the agents know is he's the next target. Yes. For Morpheus's crew. So yes, he's the main character. Yes, he's the one. But when it comes to who is who are the the two forces in balance? It's humanity and the machines, and it's Morpheus yeah. and Agent Smith. Morpheus is. I mean, he's the Gandalf and. Yes. Smith he's, is he's the, the Saruman. He's the leader figure. It's absolutely. He's the leader. He's the belief system. He's the one that keeps people on track and together. Same with Agent Smith. He's the ruthless hunter that keeps every all the machines on task of wiping out humanity. They're the perfect opposite to each other. They even have opposing speeches. They yeah. talk about the dream world and freeing humanity and this is what we must do. And Agent Smith comes along later in the film and says, humanity is a disease. We classified you similar to a virus and we need to And that's what makes him so good is that he is so right and he's coming from a place of truth his tactics, though, are just very, like, yes. annihilation. No, it's true. So, yes, that would represent the cold, hard physicality yeah. of a machine. But he's still right. Whereas Morpheus represent a little bit more of that Eastern spirituality of freeing your mind. You're, this is our purpose for humanity. That's, again, 
Yeah. Those two stand in stark contrast to philosophy, whereas... And you buy that Smith was created to keep order in the Matrix. Yeah, he was created to kill. As a he program, a machine. yeah. He acts like a machine, he talks to a machine, he's a philosophy-like machine. Whereas Morpheus is the exact opposite. He, he He's the leader, he's the spiritual force, he's the belief force, he does not act like a machine. He's adaptable, he's dependable, he's exactly what you would expect from a human being. Faced with a crappy situation, you adapt and you move, versus a machine... <laughs> Agent Smith says, "Never send a human to do a machine's job." There's such there's such contrasting figures. Um, that's that to me. That's the real, the real good, uh, the real good characters in that film. Yeah. The both I best mean, characters are Morpheus and Agent if Smith. If a hero is only as good as his villain, you got one of the best villains here. Yeah, that's the same you for know. something like Darth Vader too. Sure. All three of those agents, because there's really three of them that you saw. Um, at any rate, <coughs> let's see what I have here. Um, oh, yes, I thought, you know, there's a line, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> there's a line in Back to the Future that says, why do we have to cut these things so damn close, right? Which is like an ongoing theme, like throughout the, the, the climax, the third act of that movie. I thought, oh, The Matrix has that exact climax, of the the sentinels attacking the ship and Neo running to a phone and trying to get it and it's like why do you have to cut these things so damn close? Very suspenseful ending, very memorable. Hmm. Did you want me to say something? About yeah, that? sure. Yeah, oh, okay. Um, it was to illustrate purpose, fate, yeah. destiny. Those are the, all the things. In, so amidst the seemingly Back to the Future might have. I mean, obviously he's joking about. His circumstances. Yeah. Saying, hey, what the hell? This is too damn close. It's too better next time. The Matrix just takes the more serious side of that and saying... But they're both to the seconds just in the nick of time. Yes, but the mat- on, but on the Matrix side, it's the cold, hard, fate, destiny yeah. uh, purpose. Because all these odds are stacked against them. And still, to prove the prophecy, quote-unquote, true, that he's the one, he still perseveres through all the things yeah. that would that would any normal circumstance would be unwinnable again thereby proving that fate purpose destiny he's the one he's here to accomplish this purpose that's that's the contrast so yeah you're right it's it's they do the same thing however one is very lighthearted about the events making it seem more like luck whereas matrix their whole philosophy is hardcore hard coded on fate and destiny and purpose it, I'm curious if after Neo resurrects, and he's the one, and he dives into Smith and gets a new body, um, if he was unplugged, would he have died? Um, or if the, if they did the EMT thing, I think it could have gone either way. Well, no, I I don't know if he would. Yeah, if he was unplugged, he probably would have died. I don't see how him being the one changes physical laws of physical laws and natural laws of the real world like if your brain is connected in the real world and it puts pulled out yeah because his real body isn't the one uh until later <laughs> yeah again referencing the sequels a scene that makes no sense which is why I don't like referencing the sequels I hate them um but now I, th- I think he is the one however that rule doesn't seem to be exempt they stretch that a little bit um Again, when he resuscitates, because he's quote-unquote dead, but I think his body and 
his spirit, quote unquote, his mind yeah. and the matrix have finally found their equilibrium. As it what were, did that mean that his actual physical body died as well? Then that resurrected? Yes, in a way. And and again, that's a little bit of the fine line there, where it's not yeah. too fantastical. It's magic. Well, it seems like it. So it's so he wasn't dead for three days and rose again, yeah. right? But he was dead for about quote unquote dead for about ten seconds. And yeah. then raised. So again, it's it's skirting the lines of believability, but it's not unbelievable. Again, yeah. that's but that's the theme of the film. It's not totally crazy or out of whack. Yeah, speaking of Back to the Future, which we do, um, you know, that also had two inferior sequels that were filmed simultaneously because the first one was such a big hit, and The Matrix followed suit. If there's two things I hate. In the movie world, it's prequels <laughs> and sequels. It's, yes, well, not all sequels are bad. I, agree. I suppose. Um, so, I imagine you've seen The Matrix quite a bit. Uh, yeah, I've watched it quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, any uh, closing thoughts? Fourteen mm. years later, I realize there, there really hasn't. Been anything like it since? No, no. That it really it, it is still the gold standard. Um, it, it, it is the new Star Wars still, because even like Lord of the Rings was written before. Sure. Matrix original idea. I mean, Avatar can't hold a light to I, it. I, I don't know necessarily that it would be a gold standard as much as story elements and style elements and special effects elements. Basically, they. They basically became a type that everything will copy from then on. So I yeah. don't know that it's necessarily standard. A, st a standard would be like somebody has to meet this. Uh, I don't think anybody's ever going to try and meet them, but their techniques and their style is replicated over and over and yeah. over. It's like no no one will ever meet Star Wars, but the T-shirts, the parodies, everything. The formula, everything in that's replicated. That that's the concept of great. Again, it, 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 copying is the the most sincere form of flattery. The replication Still of the techniques the and the style. That's what's going to persevere. Um, also, the fact that it was quote unquote realistic science fiction. Um, well, let's think about the influence for a sec. Um, there's that scene in in Shrek where Fiona is beating up Robin Hood's Merry Men and. She freezes in air. The yeah. camera circles That's around right. it's her. A perfect kick, yeah. you know. And there's even one of the uh, what is one of the comedy films to come out after that used a Matrix kick. I forget which one. Um, there's been a bunch. Yeah, it's like they all the, use it. Oh my gosh! The camera circle. Name name one kind of blockbuster action yeah. movie that doesn't have one slow motion scene with bullets and glass and slow yeah. motion hits. I mean, X Men came out oh, the year right, after, right. and they were all in leather, <laughs> black sure, leather, yeah. and and that's going to be. I mean, Matrix definitely wasn't the first. I mean, it's so e even even Blade was a year before the Matrix with the black leather thing. But po again, what popularized that style um, was definitely what's well, considered. I mean, cyberpunk. Yeah, cyberpunk kind of. is definitely nineties. Well, they go to that. Was it like an S and M bondage club? And at the beginning, it just seems like a golf club. Yeah. Um, well, there's one in LA, so it's not. I mean, it's not totally. Yeah, out of yeah. Black. I, mean, it's, I mean, the the Matrix gang didn't dress exactly like that, but that's sure. Yeah, but that there was another solidified the style, um, even on the world that came after. It. I mean, virt virtually everything that has some sort of like cool sci-fi gun running 
is going to yeah. have someone in black leather doing some sort of acrobatics. Yeah, that's that's again that's going to be the legacy. Um, I don't think anybody's going to try and meet the Matrix where it's at, but but those things have definitely influenced. Yeah. Everything after it's 15 years. And it doesn't even feel like it's been 15 years. It feels like that movie came out three years ago. Um, whereas you watch some movie, 90s movies and you're going, oh yeah, my gosh. It's like, you don't mind seeing the, the Nokia flip phone. Sure. Or, yeah, sure. Or, or <laughs> you, know, you look at people's hair and clothes and they say, what? That's how, what, what did they do back then? The Matrix isn't like that at all. The it attention isn't like to that. detail, just making everything green, everything from pictures in the background to the color of clothes people wore. Yeah, it's it's a very it's so, a very so awesome. it's a tightly knit attention to detail consistent motif throughout the entire film. Um, very very well done. I just I really I can't say that enough. Uh, again, no, there's no such thing as a perfect movie, but as far as sci-fi is concerned, you know, sci-fi is always it's pretty always dang close. really good or really bad. There's no such thing as mediocre sci-fi. There just isn't. There just mm. isn't any such thing. The Sci-Fi Channel is ninety-nine percent BS. Ninety-nine percent. It's just there's that one good idea that someone pulled off. And you're like, hey, that's a great sci-fi. You, is bad, you so. essentially need fifty good ideas though to pull it off. Kind of. And that's what the Matrix is. You, you either need it's, you either need a whole story or a whole narrative. Yeah. To 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 base something upon, but if you just do it on a single event or yeah, m- most sci-fi sucks. And I think again, the Matrix said like, well, you could have. Something that's really close to home, but still, quote unquote, bend the rules a little bit, and still add some effects and say this is just a fantastic movie. It's good. It moves. It has characters. It has philosophy. It has yeah. story. Character development, especially. Have um, you ever seen uh, Bound? Uh, I haven't. It was the Wachowskis' first movie. No, I have not. Um, but yeah, I'm glad Warner Brothers took a shot at these guys and. They spent like three years making this thing. Yeah, that was and one of their. Off. I that mean, was one they, of their better ideas. I know they they went. I don't know if they went over budget. They went over time. That, that's for sure. They're over schedule, but with purpose, they certainly have something to show for it. Yeah, it was good, and um, I definitely will never forget it. Cool. Well, thank you for spending this time. No problem. It's been fun. The bills in the mail. Yes, it is. I. Um, all right. Peace out.